minus 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfume. Hello, Utah Street! Five, four, three, two, one. For the first time in 2022, welcome in to the Masson All Access Podcast from the Masson Web Studio. Bobby Blanco and Amy Jennings coming at you live on the Masson Nationals Facebook page and YouTube channel. Thank you so much for making us a part of your Monday afternoon. If not, you're not if hopefully you're watching us live and commenting along, but if you're not, you're checking us out after the fact. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Amy, good to see you in person. How have you been? Yeah, good to see you too. I've been good. It's been okay start to the new year uh, so far. I was just telling you before the show. Um, my niece was born today. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen any pictures yet. I don't know the name yet, so I'm looking forward to that. But it was on my nephew's birthday, so kind of cool that they share a birthday, but also like. I don't know. You never have your own day. I don't that's, know if I'd like it. That's a good point. On the flip side, though, easy on the family members, the parents. True. Easy to one remember. Yeah, one and done. Everyone else, easy to remember that they're both on the same day. But yeah, you're right. For the kids, it kind of does, especially the uh, the older one. As an older child myself, I know that the younger one always gets the most right. attention. So on a day <laughs> that you're going to share, when that, how, how old are they two, apart? Two years two apart? Years. So when the oldest is turning five and the youngest is turning three, that could be a that could be a rough day uh-huh. for the old the you older. You know what it's like to have a, a younger oh, yeah. sister too. Mm-hmm. So yep. yeah, Nicole gets a lot of the attention, especially when we were younger, uh, and she was the only girl of me and my cousins. Um, speaking of which, you have a new baby. I've got a new baby in my family. My <laughs> older cousin Andrew had his first uh, son, uh, firstborn. She he's the first great grandchild of the family, so that's Aww. very exciting. Born Friday morning, uh, here locally in DC, so uh, very exciting. Uh, I already got name? him. Charles Ramiro Super. Oh. Yeah, Charles Ramiro Ramiro. Uh, after my late grandfather who passed away in, in December. Uh, has the middle name. I'm not exactly sure where Charles came from, but we love little Charlie. I can't decide if I want to call him Charlie or Chuck. Uh, probably Charlie as a, as a baby, but maybe I can get him into a Chuck when he gets a little older. Um, already got him a nice three set of uh, Nats onesies. Oh, and I, I, like I was it. smart. <laughs> so I do not know how to shop for babies whatsoever. Babies are terrifying, and uh, I don't know anything about them. But I was smart, and I picked the size of three-month to six-month-old. That way, they should fit him actually during, during baseball, baseball season. season. There you go. So, yeah, I, I, I See, almost you know got what the you're one. doing, Bobby. Kind of, kind of. And we didn't know the sex yet, so I got a gender, the gender-neutral one. Nice. The, there was one that you could tell was definitely geared more toward boys, one geared more toward girls, and there was mm-hmm. kind of a neutral one in between. I picked that. It's got a little baby screech on one of them, swinging the bat. Um, so oh. really cute, really excited to see uh, a little Charlie rocking that. Maybe we can have Charlie on the podcast yeah, one day. <laughs> see what he thinks about some of these young bro- prospects coming up. It's kind of crazy to think that, you know, by the time he's old enough to start watching baseball, and same with your nephew, this this team's going to look completely different. Exactly. And, you know, some of the guys that we have come to grow and love and, and help us fall in love with this team and baseball in this town are going to be long gone. And then there's going to be a whole brand new generation. And that's, you know, not to get on this tangent because it's not, not what we plan on talking about today, but that's an important part of growing a fan base. You need the mm-hmm. next generation of fans to grow up. I mean, it just takes time, right? You know, you need new guys, new, new, new young children growing up and becoming Nationals fans. You know, there is a World Series trophy already in place. They've got plenty of division titles. It's a successful franchise. So... 
it's just kind of bringing in the new wave of young of young fans, and then they'll grow up with these young players who mm-hmm. will hopefully be talking about for years to come and be a part of the next winning teams. And too, I mean, you're we're talking about a lot of prospects today, and I was looking at like their date of birth, and they're in oh the two thousands, which is just crazy. I mean, and then imagine when our nephews grow up, and it's just going to be cra- all those guys are going to be up in the bigs. It's going to be crazy, and it's weird. I don't like. They're going to be up. like on the. <laughs> Maybe possibly the tail end of their careers right. by the time yeah, like, that's these, true. these are, are young nephews years. are going to be like growing up and actually sitting down paying attention to baseball. Because, right. you know, kids have short attention spans. They'll watch a couple innings, have fun, but then they're going to want to go off and play with their own toys or whatever it may be. So, yeah, no, it's, it, you know, we might be looking at two generations from now of Nationals yeah. players that these kids are going to actually be looking up to and idolizing down the road, which is pretty exciting. It's really mm-hmm. exciting. Um, but, yeah, so congratulations to both the Jennings families and the Super families on uh, new babies. Um it's, 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 it's a, exciting. You know, you know, everything's going on in the world. It is nice to have some happiness right. and something to celebrate right. um, now that the holidays are over. So that's, that's, a, that's a good way to start off the podcast. Like Amy mentioned, we're going to be talking about some prospects, specifically in the international market, because that signing period opens this Saturday. And that really snuck up on me because even after I wrote about it a little bit, for an article on massinsports.com about a week ago, I completely just forgot that it's this Saturday. So mm-hmm. that we're going to talk a lot about that. Um, the Looking at a couple of prospects of the Nationals are rumored to uh, be signing on Saturday. We'll be looking back at some former uh, players that the Nationals acquired via that market. But some housekeeping notes to start off with. Let's start off with Victor Robles uh, because we talked about how this upcoming spring training is going to be a big um time for Victor Robles and his career, not just with the Nationals, but his baseball career after how the 2021 season ended. He's playing in the Dominican Winter League. He was added to a playoff roster just recently uh, to, I'm going to butcher this, and (laughs) and I'm Spanish, so I should be able to do this better, but uh, he added to the Aguias Kibanyas playoff roster earlier uh, this this past week. Uh, we've already, I, I don't know if you ch- saw on Twitter, I saw him making a highlight catch uh, in the outfield mm-hmm. and, and throwing out at second base, so that's a good sign. We know his defense is still up to snuff. It was his offense that was struggling, and it looks like the Nationals just wanted him to get a couple more at-bats before getting back and reporting to West Palm Beach. Yeah, I mean, this is really good for Victor Robles because, I mean, as a whole, a lot of players might be, you know, cut a few weeks short in spring training. I mean, if the CBA gets finalized and they're able to start the season on time, it is possible that spring training will be shortened. And that's kind of tough to get back into the groove for a lot of these guys and get back into shape, especially if you're Victor Robles and you're going to be fighting for your starting spot, trying to get your starting spot back. Uh, So any extra work you can get, not only to prove yourself, uh, but just the actual work and, and improve, obviously, his approach at the plate is what's going to be huge for him. So good for him. It's always better to be playing than sitting over the winter, especially uh, when it comes to Victor Ribles and trying to get that spot back. Yeah, I mean, it's not just young guys, young prospects, right, that we talked about, you know, a couple months ago talking about the Arizona Fall League and prospects getting some more at-bats, pitchers getting some more innings. It's established guys. Mm-hmm. I mean, we know how Victor Robles' season ended Talked about how important this spring training is for him and his future here. Um, so just getting more at bats, you know, and, and I think was it last winter or was it two winters ago? He also played down there in the Dominican Winter League. He got hurt actually, I think, um, and, and yep. his seat and that season was cut short for him. Um, so hopefully, he, you know, makes it. I mean, obviously, also depends how far his team goes in the playoffs, but hopefully, he gets a couple more at bats innings, play solid defense out there. Maybe it's just also just a confidence booster for him too, and, sure. and come back. You know, he lost his spot 
late in the season last year to Lane Thomas, never returned after getting demoted to AAA. Uh, maybe he just needs kind of a reset and reboost in his confidence going down there and playing in the Dominican Winter League um, and in the playoffs and meaningful mm-hmm. games. You know, they're not, you know, they're not just walk through, going through the motions. They're, you know, they're trying to win a championship down there. So that's something he's obviously familiar with here in D.C. So get that back, get that confidence back, maybe report to spring training ready to go. And that could be an interesting battle. We'll see. I mean, we'll obviously talk way more about mm-hmm. position battles down the line entering spring training, but Robles and Lane Thomas will be an interesting one to keep an eye on. If Victor reports to camp healthy, more confident, and has maybe a developed, redeveloped his, his swing and, and offensive production. Yeah, and better to, you know, start to build that confidence now right. than, you know, right when you walk into spring training and start that process. Then he's starting it now, getting ahead of the game, and then when he heads into spring training, he's ready for that battle uh, to fight for that, that starting center field spot. So just a quick quick recap of what he's done so far in the DR. Uh, this is via his baseball reference page, so I'm not quite sure how up-to-date these stats are, but we have them in 13 games in the Dominican Republic this winter. Robles is hitting 234 with a 362 on base percentage, two home runs, five RBIs. He was three for six stealing bases uh, and has six walks to eight strikeouts, kind of helping with that pretty okay on base percentage. So basically what we saw from Victor mm-hmm. this past season, average maybe a little higher because I think he dipped down way closer to the around 200 mark. Um, but the on base, a little above, above average. The stolen base is fine, uh, but good to see drawing six walks as well. Right. But only in 13 games, so it's kind of a small sample size. Yes. But that's what he did. Small sample size, but it's just getting those at-bats. Yeah. Um, and, you know, everyone counts, so that's good for him. Yeah. Uh, one more uh, housekeeping note uh, to make. Uh, this kind of came out of nowhere the other day, but Sean Nolan, for those of you who don't remember, he was uh, a minor league signing last spring after playing in Japan. He came up and made an emergency start in a doubleheader against the, the Mets on August 12th. Um, and then stuck around for basically the end of the rest of the regular season for the Nationals rotation. Had signed a re-signed on a minor league deal to start this offseason, but now uh, has signed a one-year contract with the Kia Tigers of the Korean baseball organization. He, Sean Nolan, the 32-year-old pitcher, um, he'll earn $600,000 in guaranteed money with the ability to earn an additional $300,000 in incentives. So Sean Nolan not returning to the Nationals this next year. He'll be going to pitch in South Korea. Which that sounds like just kind of like a personal choice, you know. Mm-hmm. Maybe the opportunity to pitch on a more consistent basis will happen in Korea. He's, it's, you know, it's guaranteed money. It's maybe the right decision for him and his family at the time. Um, but you know, kind of a surprising move considering he had a major, not a major league deal, but a minor league deal with a major league club, and was right. expected to maybe fight for a bullpen spot or some kind of position here in the in the mm-hmm. Nationals organization. Yeah, I mean, when he signed that minor league deal, I think I kind of expected to see a little bit of him in the bullpen this year, mm-hmm. just because you know every you know the more arms the merrier right um in this bullpen he didn't have great numbers last year the walk percentage and strike strikeout percentage wasn't great um in those five starts and five relief appearances he ended up finishing with a 439 era so not great um but he would be an extra arm in that bullpen and i think that's kind of the approach the nationals were taking when they did sign him to that minor league deal but he has that experience already playing internationally because when the nationals signed him last year he was coming off of a season in japan so best of luck to him personal choice i think anytime you head internationally and um hopefully that works out for him yeah he was a nice story too this year with the nationals too if you remember he returned uh, to make his first big league appearance since 2015 when he was with the athletics um i i think he is a jersey boy 
or New York area guy because I remember he had a lot of family members at City Field. Oh, that's right. Uh, for his his debut mm-hmm. uh, or re re debut, I guess in in the in that Mets game, um, and then also you of course remember he was suspended for five games for essentially retaliating uh, to, in protection of Juan Soto. Juan Soto was drilled by Will uh, Smith of the Braves. I mean, we know about their rivalry, mm-hmm. um, and then the next day, um, Sean Nolan hit Freddie Freeman and, and was suspended five games. So. One of those unwritten rule things that happens. I think Nationals fans kind of appreciated that. I think that was kind of appreciated in the clubhouse, even though I think Dave Martinez was like, we don't really need to be doing that, but I kind of understand you want to protect your players. Cool to see a journeyman guy step up for a superstar that he's known for a handful of weeks at that point. Right. You never, you, you never you want never to see that. Just like Daniel Martinez. Her, especially says, Freddie Freeman. Yeah, of course. But also, you know, he, I guess he was kind of, you know, taking the big brother role, maybe yeah. uh, protection of his teammates, which it seems like he kind of fit right in and would have fit in this year. But on he goes. On he goes to the Korea baseball league. So we wish Sean Nolan, uh, organization, I should say. Well, we wish Sean Nolan uh, the best of luck um, in his new adventure with the Tigers, the Kia Tigers. All right. Back here stateside. Um, like I said, international signing period opens on Saturday. This is not usually, this is usually takes place in July. This mm-hmm. is a July 2nd thing. Uh, so this is, this period usually opens mid-season. So, you know. For on our side of it, maybe doesn't get as much coverage as it should have in the past because the Nationals are very obviously active in this market and signing uh, players in the international market. But, of course, there's a major league season going on. They've been competitive for so many years. July is obviously a very important, busy time of the season. Um, but now that because of COVID being pushed back to January 15th, offseason, Nationals now in the midst of a major rebuild and rehaul of their entire farm system. An important date for Nats fans to circle this Saturday, especially considering the Nationals are expected to decide one of the top prospects of this class. Exactly. I mean, the international signing period is a great time to get talent from other countries, but specifically talent for a little bit cheaper. And the Nationals and a rebuild trying to boost their farm system. Um, it seems like they're going for, you know, trying to build their outfield you know, getting a flux of outfield prospects, especially when we go through um, who they're projected to sign during this international signing period. But this could be a big year for the Nationals in this market. Uh, it's it's got to be a kind of very similar to how we talk about and how the Nationals approach drafts because it's not like you're, and especially with this, because you're more often than not picking teenagers, mm-hmm. kids, literal kids, and um, guys that will be coming out of <laughs> high school not a lot of experience, obviously not playing in, you know, United States high school leagues or travel teams or, you know, major colleges. You are drafting, not drafting, I guess, signing these guys to play a role in your organization in a couple of years. Exactly. And way down the line, 16, 17, sometimes even as young as 15-year-old kids are assigned during this period out of the likes of Venezuela, Dominican Republic, uh, players originally from Cuba, Mexico, stuff like that. So um, it, it is an important avenue for the franchises to take in terms of bringing in young talent. But it, keep in mind, it's very, very young talent. Mm-hmm. It's not like 
Cade Cavalli, you draft him, you might see him pitch probably this year or two years after he's drafted. It's not like Brady House, who you drafted. Even as a high schooler, you might see him in two or three years, you know, start cracking the AAA roster or something like that. It, these guys are long-term. You get a Juan Soto every now and then. I mean, mm-hmm. that's a once-in-a-generation type talent. These are long-term signings. You might not see these guys for four or five years, even reach the top of prospect rankings or, or higher ups of the, minor, of the farm system. Yeah, and that's one of the many reasons that some teams are particularly big in the international market and other teams just dabble here and there. I mean, there's a lot of other reasons that go into that GM's philosophy, owner's philosophy. Um, but, you know, one of the many reasons is it does take a lot of projection and there's a lot of hit and miss. Um, but you also do get sometimes you hit on a player like Juan Soto and some of the best players in baseball right now are guys that were international signings. Yeah, there's a handful of guys already on the roster um, that were signed this way, whether by the Nationals or from another team, breaking it down. Um, five players from the Dominican Republic. This is currently on the Nationals' active 40-man roster. Four from Venezuela, one from Colombia, one from the Bahamas, one from Panama, one from Cuba, one from Mexico. So, And then only 24 from the United States. So it's a close to a 50, it's like a 55, 55, 45% splittage on the uh, 40 man roster. So, you know, these guys come up and become major league baseball players. And, mm-hmm. and we know across the league, a lot of guys have come up this way. Obviously Juan Soto, you look at Ronald Acuna Jr., uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. Some of the major names uh, in cross baseball have come up this way via being uh, selected or signed through the international market. Um, and, and I guess I, I kind of lost my point in my last topic, but like, you know, you, you're not signing guys for need, right? That's kind of, that's kind Similar of my point. Similar to a draft. Exactly. Similar that was kind of my draft, point. Yep. It's like, you're not signing, oh, the Nationals need minor league pitching, so we're going to add a mm-hmm. bunch of pitchers. It's mostly best player available. And a lot of this stuff happens kind of off the books. You know, it's not, it's all about relationships. That's why the Dominican the Nationals Dominican Academy that they have down in the DR is so important. The work that Johnny DePuglia does down there, he develops relationships. We've heard about his relationship with Juan Soto. That's why Juan Soto ended up signing with the Nationals. It's all about that. It's not about just scouting and then you're, you know, your name is called and you get to pick a player. You, you, you pick the player and the player has to pick you as well. And these are young kids and these are major life decisions. It's kind of weird how this works out, um, but it is... You know, you're not selecting guys or trying to sign guys mm-hmm. via major league need. It's mostly best player available or just trusting their scouts and whoever they think is the best player. Right. They should that's sign. why international scouting is so unique. It is so relationship based. And um, that's why when the Nationals, I mean, they're continuing to rebuild their relationship in the Dominican and the Dominican Academy. Um, but that's why that's so important. And that was a huge part in getting Juan Soto. And it'll be a huge part of getting guys in the future. And that's why across the board, you're going to see a ton of talent from the Dominican. Uh, but specifically with the Nationals, they're focused in that market right now because they're rebuilding there um, and, and you tend to see a lot of guys come from there um, for, to the nationals right and so uh, before we get into the guys that are going to be likely to be signed with the nationals on saturday let's look back for a couple of years and, and some of the players at the national i mean these are going to be names that you're a lot of people are going to recognize starting with last year armando cruz who mm-hmm. was i think uh, mlb pipelines number five ranked prospect in the international market last year he signed i think for then a club record amount of money i think it was a little over three million dollars um, with the nationals he is now i think ranked as there i have it right here top uh fifth fifth prospect mm-hmm. overall 
Um, so, yeah, he gets, uh, you know, entered into that prospect list immediately, but he's still so young, and he's not going to be up here for a while. He barely played rookie ball on the Florida Coast League. So a, a good signing back then, but then you go back a couple of years, and now you're seeing kind of more of these guys come up, um, and you're not going to see Armando Cruz anytime soon. But the Nationals, the way it works, you know, you have a certain amount of pool of money. Mm-hmm. They typically go and spend a majority of it on who they think is the best player available. Right, and sometimes that's risky or sometimes you know that plays out really well um and if one of the things for armando cruz is like we mentioned when we were projecting guys is a lot of scouts said he had a good makeup he had a good makeup they really liked him liked his makeup uh which helps as far as you know when you're taking a chance on some of these guys um he was ranked the best defensive player in that class last year fifth um in that prospect class and fifth now in the nationals organization he played in the dominican summer league this year didn't do super well but but like we said, he's young, 17, I think. So there's a lot of development to go. You're not going to see him for um, for a good bit. But he is a shortstop, and right. the Nationals need infield depth. And when you're looking down these prospect rankings and looking at what the Nationals have in their farm system, it's always good to see uh, a middle infielder uh, among the top of that list. Yeah, you and I have talked a lot about how the Nationals don't have a lot of infield depth at the higher levels of the farm mm-hmm. system. All that depth is on the lower levels. That's the likes of Armando Cruz, now right. even Brady House, uh, Yasel Antuna. Uh, so there are younger guys that are still coming up. We're talk- we could be talking in a couple of years that the Nationals have a lot of infield depth on the minor league system because these guys have finally grown up and, and you know are starting to reach the right. higher levels of the minor league system, maybe even the major league roster. So Armando Cruz definitely headlines that kind of list of up-the-middle infielders. Um, and, you know, being a shortstop, like you said, projected as one of the best defenders on a high-value position like shortstop is very important. Obviously, the Nationals valued that. And, you know, so what if you don't have, you know, guys who are ready to come up with the Major League roster right away at, at shortstop second base? You have a bunch of guys a year, a couple years down the road that could fill up. And then, you know, we're, again, we're talking about maybe, maybe this offseason before we're expecting the Nationals to, return that corner and become competitive again we're saying and they have a lot of young prospects knocking on the door this could be a really good infield because we know outfield is pretty much set for the next handful of years with Juan Soto being under contract but now we're looking at a couple years now maybe Armando Cruz takes a big Juan Soto like leap and is like I'm ready to be, you know, considered for at least the AAA roster, if not fringe major league roster. Well, and that's always the thing is there could be guys that take, you know, move up quick and take that quick leap like Victor Robles did, like Juan Soto did. Uh, there's no set timeline on these guys. And we know that they're you're not afraid to move guys up quick if they're ready. Um, and so you might see something like that, but years away, probably. And who knows? I mean, we're looking at a lot of outfield prospects on this list. They're tied to some outfielders, um, in this international signing period. And in a few years, we don't know where Juan Soto will be. We're not sure about center field right now with Lane Thomas or maybe looking for a left fielder. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that kind of fills out in the future, but it is not need based. It's, you know, talent based. And so it's just kind of how it ends up shaking out. Yeah, looking back a handful more years after last year, 2020, Andrew Lara, 2019, Jeremy De La Rosa, uh, Eddie Yan in 2018. 2017 was a big uh, a group, and that includes uh, Luis Garcia and Yadiel Hernandez. And then you get to Soto, Robles, and the earlier mid-2010s, if that's a that, <laughs> of that decade. Um, so it's an important – those are familiar names, so whether in top and prospect lists or 
now currently on the roster, especially talking about Robles Soto and Garcia, even Yadiel Hernandez, Israel Pineda is as you know one of the catching depth of this organization right now. Mm-hmm. So it, it is an important factor, part of the year, part of the calendar year in terms of it bringing in prospects. Interesting that it you know usually falls in the middle of the season. Now it's in January, which gives us which gives us something to talk about. Um, but looking at the Nationals prospect list, and you see. 11 of their top current top 30 prospects are from the international market. Not all of them were signed originally by the Nationals. They acquired them in very different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, but then six in the top 11 are right. signed this way. So it's important. It's a very important. It's not to be overlooked. Again, we're not going to see a lot of these guys for a handful of seasons. That's fine. But they can really jumpstart uh, a farm system if they really hit on some of the guys. And we're going to talk about uh, one of the best prospects in this class uh, right now and who the Nationals are reportedly signing. Mm-hmm, yep, and that's Christian Vaquero, who is a big 6'3", 210-pound outfielder, only 16 years old, but they're calling him the Phenomenon. from <laughs> Baseball America is calling him the Phenomenon. That's his nickname. Um, and if you've seen on social media, there's pictures of him working out with Juan Soto, with Victor Robles, um, uh, down in the Dominican. He has on Nationals gear. Uh, so he's, he's the top guy that's tied to the Nationals. I think it's pretty much everything but a dumb de- done deal that he's coming to the nationals baseball america's number one overall international prospect for this class number two by mlbpipeline.com uh naturally a left-handed hitting outfielder originally Mm -hmm. from havana cuba uh made his way to the dominican republic to to further his baseball skills you mentioned how big he was when he got to the dominican republic he actually taught himself to hit switch be a switch hitter Mm -hmm. which is very impressive scouts are raving about his intellect and you know just baseball knowledge and instinct on the field um, he has high praise for his maturity. And like I said, his intelligence, um, he's been studying English already for three years, which we know, I mean, he hasn't officially signed with the nationals, but that is a nationals organization wide, not mandate, but highly encouraged that they speak mm-hmm. English very well and learn English. See Juan Soto, how well he's spoken English, um, and gotten better over the past couple of years. So a smart kid, only 17 years old, um, his scouting grades per MLB pipeline, 55 hit, 60 power, 55 run, 55 arm, 55 in the fielding, and a 55 overall. Pretty solid for a 17-year-old kid originally from Cuba playing in the Dominican Republic. Right, a potential five-tool player there. Uh, he said he has raw power with a strong arm, and he's able to cover a lot of ground out there in center field for how big he is. Um, so that'll be interesting to see. I think it's pretty pretty set you never yeah. know obviously uh, the way things are but i think that's pretty set and that'll be a big get for the nationals yeah the projections this is kind of a weird projection that i found from a scouting report but they're projecting him because again he's only 17 mm-hmm. so still growing to kind of sell around six foot four 215 pounds which is a pretty big athletically built outfielder um uh, like we talked about the potential, the dynamic, the athletic ability sounds a lot like Victor Robles when he was first signed uh, via this way. But, you know, like we said, adding any side of talent, top talent, highly recruited talent, not recruited, but scouted talent um, is an important part of this. And getting one of, if not the best prospect is a major gift for a team that's trying to revamp this farm. Right. I mean, in part of it, 
you know, when you're projecting these guys is projecting their size. I mean, they're still growing. 16 years old, uh, you're still growing. You saw it a lot in the scouting ports with Yohan Adan. Was he going to be a relief pitcher? Was he going to be a starter? Um, you just don't kind of, I mean, you, you see his frame, you see the potential there, but you don't know, um, you know, what those guys are going to grow into. So projecting their size is a big part of it. And speaking of the size and how young he is, consider this. If he was in the United States, he would be a sophomore in high school and would still be considered a top five draft pick in the, next, in the upcoming draft, which is bonkers to think about as a 17-year-old. Mm -hmm. And also considering he has not played outside of Cuba or the Dominican Republic or in the United States uh, yet as a, as a show. That's a pretty impressive praise coming from a kid uh, who's still just 17 and growing into his body, like we said. Did you talk about Scott Boris already? Because we talked about relationships and how this is an important aspect of this type of signing. He is already signed with Scott Boris's agency. We know the relationship between Scott Boris and the learners and the nationals. So obviously, uh, Christian Vercaro has already established relationships with the nationals and other agencies that have relationships with the nationals. So another uh, kind of... Uh, String to tie for between him and, and the Nats as the uh, the signing period opens up on on Saturday. So, like you said, not officially, but sounds like it's pretty much a done deal. The question is going to be really, Amy, how much is he going to of of the international pool money that the Nationals have? How much is he going to consume? Uh, if we saw them hand out a record setting contract last year, they're probably going to have to do something similar to a guy that was ranked or, or scouted higher than the prospect they got last year. So Vaquero could take up a lot of their money, and does that leave enough for them to sign another high-profile prospect uh, come Saturday afternoon? Right, because Anthony Gutierrez is another name that the Nationals are tied to, another outfielder. He's 17 years old, um, and he's ranked the number six prospect in this class. I think it's just unrealistic if you are going for you know, a record-breaking contract with uh, with Vaquero, it's unlikely that you're going to be able to sign them both. So that plays into it, how many guys you're able to sign, and that's what's so interesting about international signings and and the money pool and um i think that's why we're seeing hearing more and more and getting closer and closer to what could be a, turn into an international draft you think it should go that way i think that at some point there's gonna have to be some sort of regulation i mean when you're seeing because the price is going up and up you're seeing it more and more um and some of the best players i mean we just mentioned so many are you know did come from international signings i think it would change things um but it would certainly even the playing field um and provide more regulation moving forward yeah i mean re i think regulation is a good that's a, that's a good point i think that's something that needs to be regulated more <laughs> i mean this this whole process because look at i mean look remember that that's how the braves got in trouble they got in trouble mm -hmm. for doing some illegal tampering with when they signed ronald cunha jr and um uh who was the other one that they signed with that class? Anyways, Kakuna Jr. was the main one, and they got in trouble for it. Um, so maybe some more regulation would help. Mm -hmm. A draft would certainly help that. I think, though, you enter the draft, that takes away the relationship part that we were just talking about so much. Now, is that unfair to some teams? Maybe. But then you should be investing more into this type of market and, you know, setting up a Dominican academy or exactly. uh, Venezuelan academy, wherever you want to set up shop um, and, and invest more into that avenue. Because that, we're seeing a lot of teams have great success and find superstar talent via this form of acquiring young players. And I think it kind of makes it more fun when there's yeah, it's not kind a of like draft a and it's like, it's like yeah, a free agency. It, 
it is yeah it is and i think that kind of adds an extra level of excitement because you're seeing the difference between the teams that are investing in this market um and teams that aren't and you know obviously the talent that you get from being on other side either side of it so i think it adds a level of excitement yeah. um i think that probably mlb teams are leaning more towards a draft and players aren't um and then there's also that extra level of you know, countries or might be more upset because you're taking all of their talent if um, it comes down to a draft. Yeah, but, I mean, how can you pass up going to... Oh, of, of course not. Well, but. not. Not going to Major League Baseball, but uh, the potential to mm-hmm. go to Major League and be signed by a major... I mean, this is, that's where the money is. And that's, that was kind of my next point, is that these are major decisions being made by teenagers. And, like, we, we equate it to free agency. Those are usually around 30-year-old men making or women in other sports, uh, those decisions. So they are have been around the block and know how it works. These are kids, and kids that don't speak the the language of it, you know, mostly don't speak it's it very tough. well. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of trust that has to go back and forth between player and player's family and scout and organization mm-hmm. and GM, whoever it may be. It's, it's a major decision to make, and not to mention if there was a draft, like I know it's not an option for most of these players, but if you come to the United States, play high school or college ball and are eligible for the draft, if you're a top, like we just talked about, if he's a top five draft pick, he's making way more money than probably, he's going to probably get around $4 million. Um, I think, you know, that's like standard for back end of yeah, the first be, round or second round. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see how they do it, not just how many rounds, but like they're talking about, you know, hard slot amounts you yeah. know, for each pick and how that would work would be interesting. And then, of course, you could be an undrafted, you know, free agent signed as a free agent. So it would be interesting. It would take a lot of agreement. There's a lot of different parties that have to be involved, and I think that's why nothing has been passed in prior CBAs. Uh, so that'll be interesting to see if the conversation keeps going and going. Um, but I think eventually it's going to come to the point where you're seeing – so much of Major League Baseball from, you know, the international market, and they're not really going to have a choice um, but to implement something to even the playing field. So, I, I mean, I, I, I don't think I have a decision of whether or not I want to draft right. because it's, it's like, it is fun. It's kind I of don't, like, yeah, I don't think But then think again, I, do. I mean, I don't know, maybe like, <laughs> maybe a team like, I don't know, I can't think of a team who, like the Mariners maybe, I don't know, who doesn't have a great, or the Twi- I don't know, who doesn't have a great presence in those things. Maybe they're like, well, we hate this system because we don't. We always lose out on the top prospects, so let's make it a draft, make it more fair. I understand that. We cover a team that does really well in this market, mm-hmm. so it's more fun this way for us. Fans obviously enjoy it. You get guys like Juan Soto, Victor Robles. Um, I don't know. Maybe maybe that is a place where you need to level the playing field a little bit more. But then you get into the whole thing of, like, how does that, does that draft – Orders still go like the normal draft exactly. in terms of reverse standings. When is it? When would they when have would the would draft? It be? Because that's a whole lot more preparation, especially if it's a month after the usually scheduled first year player draft mm-hmm. in June, early June. Uh, that's a lot to prep for for a team, and, and it's a lot of different moving parts. Whereas you know, if the way it stays, if it stays the way it is right now, it's just like, all right, here's your handful of guys we should go after. Here's a blank check to go to this kid with, and hopefully he signs here. And there's also, I mean, the I. I don't know which way it could go. It could present more opportunity for more players if it were a draft, you know, spread out across so many rounds. I mean, you want to get, obviously, the best talent in that, you know, however many picks you have. Um, It might force scouts to be more 
you know, involved in those markets, or it could be the opposite kind of restricts you. Yeah. You know? But then it could, after that, like, like it does in the normal draft, it could just open up into a, you know, free agency kind of free for all where it's an undrafted free agent. And mm -hmm. then these players are free to sign obviously for lesser slot money, but free to sign wherever they please. I don't know. I, I, I would think as a player, you would want more of a say in where you go. Mm -hmm. I think for the kids, the players, probably the families too, because they're also developing these relationships, the parents, whoever, the guardians, you know, they probably want more of a say and control of where they go. I mean, you're, you're trading, you're basically trading off more money for the ability to choose, right? Because if, if we're talking about implementing a draft and we can say, all right, we can increase the pool and, and you know, if you're drafted one, two, whatever, you get a certain amount of slot money, that's more than you would probably get in a quote-unquote free agent market, that's great, but you're trading that for the comfort of being able to pick and mm -hmm. choose where you go and, you know, where you have developed those relationships and you have more trust. And it's so different than, you know, our regular first-year player draft. Right. You know, these guys aren't coming from college. They don't have the – I mean, it's just completely different, and it would be set up completely different. So it, it's kind of weird to imagine it like yeah. that. Um, I just don't know what they're going to do in years to come. Or maybe it'll just stay the way it is. I mean, yeah. some teams will just get more involved in this market. Other teams just won't I hope be. So. Um, it just kind of depends on each organization individually, not only where they are at with the organization, but the guys at the top, what their philosophy is. Right. Yeah. I, I, I kind of like this for right now, this opening the floodgate and it's a free for all. And you know, you, mm -hmm. you have to, you know, you have to invest in it. If you choose not to invest in it, then you can't, you know, be that upset when you don't sign a lot of top guys because you're not trying as hard as other teams. So if I, I like that aspect of mm -hmm. it, so like, you know, you get what you, you get out of it what you put into it. The Nationals get a lot out of it because they true. put a lot into mm -hmm. it. Other teams, not so much. But then you can't really complain we don't get to land a top prospect like Christian Vaccaro or Awan Soto or someone like that. Um, yeah, so interesting topic. That opens up on Saturday. I don't know if there's like a hard time deadline when that opens or just at midnight or how that works. Um, but um, I'll probably have a little preview of that day on MassInSports.com covering for Mark Zuckerman as he goes on a well-deserved vacation <laughs> uh, before hopefully we get back to the end of this lockout and start uh, talking about spring training and, and more actual baseball things. But I'll have a, com a complete coverage of that on MassInSports.com Saturday morning. If any announcements are made later that day, of course, we'll have updates on that on the website as well. And, of course, follow Mass and Nationals across the board on social media. Um, so stay tuned for updates on that. It's like, like we said, it's a small, but it even snuck up on me. I just completely forgot about it over the last week, but it's a small thing on the calendar, but an important thing, especially for a rebuilding team like the Nationals. Yep. Um, all right. Is there any other housekeeping things that we needed to get touched to? Kind of, it is a Monday afternoon, kind of a short pod. Um, not too much else to talk about. Did you have anything else that you wanted to discuss? No, I just think that's the big thing. And I think it kind of gets overlooked, but yeah. it's, 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 an, it's an important day and a chance for you know, the Nationals to get a big prospect. Um, they don't have to wait till, you know, whatever pick they're slotted at. Like we said, it's a free-for-all, so they can go out, get that talent that, with the, somebody that they've been building a relationship with. And a chance for these kids to change their lives mm -hmm. and change their families' lives. I mean, we talked about Vaquero moving from Cuba to Dominican Republic, and, you know, he did that. All the time and effort he made putting into his baseball career is now going to probably sign his first major contract to place baseball professionally. So it's exactly. an important day for these kids as well, not just the organizations uh, that are signing them, that they're, they're getting life-changing money 
uh, and contracts and opportunities, which is pretty cool as well. So keep that in mind as we get to Saturday. Before we get out of here, college football national championship game, Georgia-Alabama, who you got? Alabama. I, me too. I, it's hard to pick against I Saban. Know. <laughs> it's hard to beat Saban, and it's all harder to beat him when he's already got to look at you and beat your butt in, what, a month ago? Exactly. In the SEC championship game. Exactly. He is. A I re- think it'll be much closer. I think so too, but I still think Bama. Bama's the best team by far Georgia's seen all year. Mm-hmm. It was kind of a down year for the SEC, in my opinion. That's why Georgia rolled. Their defense will keep them in the game, but I just think they're. Uh, who's their, what's their quarterback's name? Stinson, Bryce Stinson or something yeah. like that. I don't think he's up to snuff uh, to keep yeah. t- keep pace with that Bama offense. No, I don't. Yeah, no, I don't. It's hard but to beat. What time is that game? 8, 8.30? 8, but it'll probably start closer to 8.30. Mm-hmm. Yeah, on uh, all, all over ESPN's coverage. Um, that's the end of the college football season, which is pretty crazy. We're obviously in the Na- National Football League playoffs. Um, yeah, so that means baseball's around the corner. True. Hopefully, hopefully. But with football coming to an end, that means baseball it's coming back soon. So stay tuned. Of course, like I said, on MassInSports.com, Masson National social media feeds. You can give Amy a follow at Amy Jennings News. I'm at Bobby underscore Blanco. Big shout out to Paul Mancano for his production of Behind the Scenes today. And be sure to give Masson All Access Podcast a follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and SoundCloud. And check us out live every week on the Masson National's Facebook page and YouTube channel. If you're not watching us, what are you doing? Be sure to give us a watch. Thank you so much for tuning in. Have a great week, everyone. We'll talk to you next week.